Heavenly Father, I would pray that thy spirit might attend this show as I share the backstory to what's happening in Utah with the professor at Southern Utah University. I pray that those who hear might open their hearts to listen and really ponder the effect that certain things are having on our abilities to express ourselves freely. And I would pray specifically for the performing arts, that those who have influence and status and title might step out now in a very brave and public way to make certain that our ability to express ourselves freely is upheld, especially in America, but all over the world. And I would pray that as we go forward, we might come to a meeting of the minds about what it means to be able to express ourselves freely with music and theater and dance and the visual arts and all of the things that uplift and educate and edify our people. I say and do this in the name of my Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen. A reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. A song sung by Richard Bug this past summer during the Man of La Mancha. Oh, oh, oh. 
enough question pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I lie in my my friend and colleague Richard Bug performing in Man of La Mancha this past summer. He played the lead, Don Quixote, and um, he is now being involved in a lawsuit that was just filed last week in federal court. And he is a professor of theater at Southern Utah State, Southern Utah University. And I am not an unbiased voice. I have worked for Richard's theatrical company three times serving on his board of directors. And currently I am the board chair. And I'm also an entertainment director who worked for the Simon Fest company when we lived in Utah. And I put together a group of students, mostly from Southern Utah University, and we performed as a professional troupe around the city for things like the honor flight. And we performed at the farmer's market and for clubs and conferences, conventions. And anytime somebody needed live performance, we were there to share our, our songs. And we also performed scenes from the Simon Fest plays, just little one act scenes. And it was such joyful work, working with the students and collaborating with Simon Fest, that when we left to move back to Colorado in 2016, it was really difficult to leave my players because we had created so many wonderful memories together, and I'll always be grateful for that. So I have known Richard Bug for the past 10 years. I consider him a fellow artist, but also a friend. And this past year, he was persecuted by his university because of a situation involving a transgender student. He told the student at the beginning of the school year that he was happy to refer to her by her given name, and he would try to acquiesce to her request that she be addressed as a they or a them as a non-binary person. And he, he said he was happy to try. But there were a few times that he called her a she. And this put him in trouble because almost from the first day of class, she filed a Title IX complaint against him. 
and a fellow student of hers also filed with, I think, the same day or soon after. So these two complaints from these students made it so that the university felt obligated to require that Richard attend some sensitivity training to learn how to speak more properly to transgendered students. And they also wanted him to potentially give part of his salary to pay for what they call a ghost class so that these students do not have to be in his class. And then there were threats that he was going to be fired if he did not do these things. He's a tenured theater pro professor with a 30-year career. And um, the students organized a boycott of his classes and many of them stopped attending his class. And this past year was just a very dark time for my friend Rick. This past summer, he played Don Quixote in one of the classic musicals, Man of La Mancha. And I shared this song, which is the amazing song, To Dream the Impossible Dream, sung by Rick, because he played this part like a boss, but the lyrics of the song really um, exemplify his heart, that he's been willing to go through hell to not bow down to the pressure, to go along to get along. And he decided to file this case in federal court last week, suing the university, simply because he wants to have the freedom to express himself however he wants and not bow down to speech codes and outrageous demands by students. And so I've shared several links. Jonathan Torley, the famous law professor for, from George Washington University, chimed in on this on his blog over the weekend. And I shared the links to several mainstream media articles, video reports, and this story is just now being noticed by the national press. It'll be interesting to see how much coverage it gets. I also shared in the call-in link page that there are several other professors and teachers who've also experienced similar legal cases, and they have all won their cases. One professor was awarded $400,000 that had to be paid by the university for illegally firing him. And so it'll be interesting to see if there is a settlement or a case or something happens with my friend Rick. In the early part of the summer, the board of directors organized a 20th anniversary gala that took place in Cedar City. I wasn't able to attend because I'm here in Colorado, but it was a great party. And at the beginning of the party, Rick stood up and gave a six minute speech. And I took the, the video from this speech and made it into a YouTube video and then featured it prominently on the Simon Fest blog, where I am the blogmeister. And I'm going to share it now in its uh, it, the whole six minutes 
because it really distillates where we're at with our culture in the performing arts. And so here again is Richard Bug giving this awesome speech at our 20th anniversary gala. I'm Don Quixote. Um, my chosen profession in the world of, is in the world of theater. And my father was quite supportive of whatever I wanted to do with my life. But he counseled me to be sure I gained marketable skills and I made sure I was offering the world something of good report and praiseworthy. And during my training as an actor, I had a professor that often told me, don't take yourself so seriously. This isn't cancer research. <laughs> and he was right about my taking myself too seriously. I had to learn how to relax and take joy in each moment and each discovery. However, I always wanted my work to have the importance of cancer research. Over my own life's journey, I've come to believe that the three most important things in life are the three S's, shelter, sustenance, and storytelling. And the reason we can put storytelling on par with the other two life-sustaining items is that storytelling defines us, gives us purpose. It is the means by which we gain and retain wisdom. Humans tell stories. Our personal life experiences are not enough to provide the understanding and wisdom necessary for a full and meaningful life. We must learn from each other. We gain the wisdom of each other's perspectives vicariously through stories. The true art of storytelling takes the listener, the reader, or washer on a cathartic journey. It is that all-important catharsis that teaches us empathy, allowing us to see life from one another's perspective. It is empathy that leads us to understanding and peace in the world. So, Dad, I'm happy to report that while my work is not cancer research, it is an essential element for a peaceful world. Like everything in life, the power of storytelling can be misused and usurped. I have sadly observed through my lifetime, and especially in recent years, a shift in much of the theatrical community from honest, cathartic storytelling toward propagandist presentations in homage to the new religion of political correctness. So much of today's storytelling is dishonest and misleading, allowing only twisted or half-truths, and relies on rabble-rousing in place of an honest, cathartic journey. I have no argument with storytellers that have a political message, but if the story doesn't allow its listener to experience the journey honestly, then there is no catharsis, and therefore no empathy, only misplaced anger and narrow judgment. This new religion seeks to impose Orwellian newspeak standards so that only certain stories from certain perspectives can be told, all designed, as Mr. Orwell wrote, to diminish the range of thought. We are even asked to cancel, destroy, or rewrite the stories from our past. The experiences of an individual, real or fictional, are no longer acceptable if they don't meet the political correctness standard. Many of even Shakespeare's characters don't fit the new paradigm, and so must be changed, forgotten, or done away with. Over the past two years, past several years, we've observed many groups in our country that seek to cancel the stories of anyone whom they disagree with, or whose imperfections don't meet the PC standards. It is a frightening time. 
My own life's mission has become the struggle to preserve and spread the true art of storytelling. It is my belief that it is the only cure for the strife that currently besets us. We must learn again to open our hearts and minds to the cathartic journeys that true storytelling affords us. We can gain empathy from the honest stories of people from all walks of life and from every era. I know that my circle of influence is tiny, but I still must tell my stories in my own community and hope that the little ripple in our little pond will expand to influence others. I am excited about the stories we are telling at the Simon Festival this summer. We are telling the story of Ava Perón, and while the politics that she adopted during her life do not necessarily align with my own, her story provides a marvelous cathartic journey that moves me and opens my heart and mind to the struggles of a young woman in poverty finding success in her art and in her ability to love. The beloved musical Evita by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber graces our stage. A life-affirming and love-affirming play about people in a tiny town in northern Maine struggling to understand themselves and each other is Almost Maine by John Cariani. It is funny, magical, and moving. A.R. Gurney's Love Letters is a beloved two-person play our production stars Clarence Hilliard and Janice Brooks. You'll remember Clarence from Walker, Texas Ranger and other television shows and movies. Janice and Clarence last performed together in On Golden Pond in our 2016 season. Love Letters is a tender, tragic comic and nuanced examination of the shared nostalgia, missed opportunities, and deep closeness of two lifelong, complicated friends. It was not written with two black actors in mind, but we feel they bring a charm and great discovery of universality to the story. And Clarence is actually in London this week uh, on some business, and so uh, you'll actually see a, a mixed-race version of it because I'll be stepping in for him on Thursday's performance. Uh, finally, the reason uh, I, I spoke about for my scruffiness, I'm playing the role of Cervantes, uh, and Don Quixote in the classic musical Man of La Mancha by Dale Wasserman, Mitch Lee, and Joe Derry. It is the heartbreaking and inspirational Tony Award-winning musical about one man's refusal refusal to give up his impossible dream. So I'd like to share a song. Now in my video, I included the song I just played for you at the beginning of the show. And it has been said that political correctness and political culture is cultural Marxism. And that politics is downstream of the culture. So how important is it that our artists have free speech in order to push back against this distillation down to the least common denominator of we all think the same, we all believe the same, and if you step out of line, you will be canceled. If you don't adhere to the speech codes, you will be cut off. If you don't agree to have this many people of color in your show, you will not be funded. How far does that go? When does that stop? When we're all just up on stage singing and dancing and acting out uh, Mao's little red book? Is that what becomes the American cultural scene? I know that's extreme hyperbole, 
But it it's a question that I have. Where does it stop? And more importantly, who gets to decide? Who, who is the person wise enough to say, oh, this this should be made into a show? Or conversely, this is not allowed to be a show. We're going to cancel that show because it, it doesn't fit. doesn't fit with the narrative. It doesn't fit with the times. It doesn't fit with the culture. Who gets to decide? My feeling is there should be no limits on free speech for artists, actors, directors, storytellers. They should be able to say whatever they want in whatever forum. No holds barred. If it's politically incorrect, too bad. And so I stand up publicly with my friend Richard Bug, who has been persecuted this past year by his own university, by his fellow artists, and most especially by his students. Now, I do have a place in my heart for any young person who is transgender, who has transformed from male to female, or from male or from female to male, or has chosen to be non-binary. I have deep compassion and love for those people. And I don't question any choice they make for their individual life. But a, a group of students was denied the ability to sit at the feet of a master artist and learn from him the art of acting. And how sad that he is being canceled simply because he refused to, to engage in what's called compelled speech, forced speech. You speak this way, Richard Bug, or you are going to lose your job, the ability to pay your mortgage, pay your bills. Your 30-year investment in this career and the arts is canceled because you won't adhere to this speech code. That is a level of tyranny that I think even just four or five years ago, most of us would have a hard, very difficult time accepting. And yet here we are. And so this case will go forward in federal court. I'll be watching it like a hawk. I hope that the media gives it some fair coverage. Because at the end of the day, it is not about whether a trans transgendered or non-binary person feels comfortable in a classroom. It is about free speech. So I invite any of you who are here to comment. I know this is the big issue of the moment in America, especially. Welcome, Amanda. And it looks like somebody new. I don't know who you are. Let me put my glasses on. Charlie, you're always here. And Bill, I don't think I've talked to you before. Do any of you have a question or a comment? If you do, please join in the queue. If not, I am going to wind down the show because I think Richard was fully capable of speaking for himself in the speech that he gave at our gala earlier this summer. He sang his song, and we'll see how this plays out in the courts. Oh, great. Amanda, welcome. Hi, sorry. My headphones were causing a problem. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you so much for participating. Yeah, I've been trying to punch in since you were like threatening to stop the show, but I couldn't get in because until I turned my headphones off. So anyway, you don't need to know all that. Here I am. Good morning. Yeah, you're coming through just great. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, so, so this is not a story that I'm aware of. What are the what what happened? This theater professor Richard Bug, who's a personal friend of mine, 
uh, it filed a case in federal court last week, um, basically around free speech issues. I haven't read too much about it, mostly the media coverage about it. I shared a ton of stories, mostly coming from what, Utah. What is he suing for? Uh, just uh, the right to be able to speak freely without compelled speech. He um, Did you not hear the beginning of the show? No, I'm sorry. I didn't get here until about five minutes after because I was trying to get my call-in app to work properly. <laughs> sorry. Well, I'm just sorry. quickly. I don't want to make you repeat it again. Can you yeah, just give me the, the, the short? Yeah, he was basically told that if he did not bow down to the demands of his students in terms of the pronouns they wanted him to call them by that he was potentially going to lose his job. And he's a tenured theater professor at Southern Utah University. And so he just he said no. refused to use the, use the pronouns the students were asking him to use, and now he's been fired? Nope. He's been threatened with it. And it's not even that he said he refused. He said, okay. I, will, I, will, I will call you by your given name, and I will attempt to try to accommodate you. But he did several times call her a girl, referred to her as her. She wants to be non-binary. And she filed, a t she filed a Title IX complaint against him early last fall. A second, student, a second student also filed a complaint. And because of that, the university really clamped down on him. There was a boycott by the students of his class. And the, the university wanted him to take sensitivity training classes to work on his speech. They told him that he would potentially have to pay for a, what they called a ghost class for the students to attend who refused to come into his classroom. Wow. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. And then they were potentially just going to fire him if he didn't just shape up. And so he he's pushing back on just free speech that he does not want to have compelled speech you know he'll he's he's such a kind yeah. person you know right it, this is it's stupid. not so much that he's saying you know i will never ever ever use this non-binary term it was more like i don't want to constantly have to be you know thinking about what i have to say I, i'm trying to teach <laughs> and he, he had this i should have put it in the in the show notes but he had this syllabus that he put out to his students and said in an acting class we're we're learning about characters, men and women characters. So we have to talk about many, many issues that right now are becoming verboten in, right. the, in the class about what it means to be a man or a woman and how you portray that on the stage. And so you may feel uncomfortable with some of the topics we cover in the class. And I just want you to know that there will be freedom of expression in this class. And right. Jonathan, Jonathan Turley, do you know him, Amanda? No, I'm not familiar. He is a, a law professor at Georgetown and a very respected voice. And he took a peek at this and wrote about it on his blog over the weekend. And he said, tenured professors especially have complete autonomy, what goes on in their syllabus and in their class, because that's what it means to be tenured. Nobody can come in, even from his own department or a university head or the president and say, Oh, you got to change that because he doesn't have to. This is what it means to be tenured. And so, you know, I'm I'm all in with my friend Rick. I've worked with him 
off and on now for 10 years. I'm currently the chairman of the board of his board of directors for his theater company, and we're friends. So I'm totally biased towards him, but around the, the bigger cultural issue of free speech, I am all in with this case. So what do you think? So that is just fascinating. And, and what it makes me think of is my, I was married to a man whose dad was a college professor. He was a professor in California at a university. He, at the end of his career, he was the dean of the School of Business. He was a professor of economics. But there was a point in his career in the 80s, and somebody got all butt hurt because they got a bad grade. And so they reported him that he was meeting with students in his office during office hours and doing cocaine, which is hysterical if you knew my father-in-law, because, oh my gosh, he was the most waspy white bread, I've never touched drugs in my life kind of guy, but he liked to go to the jazz clubs in the 60s in San Francisco, so that made him all wild according to his family right but he was not doing cocaine with students he was not into students words you know if you are an adult man with two children and a wife and you have your thing is transportation economics you're not partying with your fucking students okay so but what the, happened the newspaper picked up the story there was an investigation the newspaper made it all salacious people got all excited it became a big story turned out when the investigation happened they found out that it was a student who was all butt hurt cuz they got a bad grade and so they pulled this shenanigans and the retraction article the the story was front page the retraction article was like page 7 bottom like a single paragraph and it wasn't even like he'd done anything wrong. But because my husband at the time was a teenager, it really impacted him and understanding how the press can blow something completely out of whack that's not even true. Because if you don't, if you, people want to get the scoop. So the investigation, who cares if it's true? Who cares that it's just one person that's kind of, for whatever reason, feels really aggrieved at, to the point where now I'm going to do something because I feel aggrieved and I don't have any other avenues for, for addressing my aggrievedness because I wasn't really aggrieved or it's not really that unfair or whatever reason, right? But they're really aggrieved. I'm not saying the person who filed the complaint didn't really have something against the professor, <laughs> right? but it's not necessarily what it says it was. And, and this goes to the Streisand effect. Have you, do you know what the Streisand effect is? Oh, yes, that calls attention to an issue. <laughs> yes, and, and, and if you would have just shut up about it, yes, it's a bump, yes, it's a problem, but it's being resolved right now as we speak. Like there's a story that comes out about some member of Congress that misspent funds in their campaign allegedly but when they look at all the books they realize that it was just the treasurer put the damn number in the wrong column there wasn't any funny business but the newspapers don't care about reporting the fact that there was nothing out of nothing out of line nothing out of the ordinary to see here <laughs> let's do a story did about your husband see here <laughs> 
did your husband carry that throughout his life? Just the oh, for sure. You know, the overreach for sure. and the shame and. Yeah, that's so it tragic. wasn't about the shame. It was it wasn't about shame. It was about, because he knew the truth about his dad. He totally knew the yeah. truth about his dad, that that wasn't that what the newspaper was printing wasn't true. And all of the he said it was weird to be in the middle of a story in the papers and know how wrong it was. Because yeah. I was in it. Well, that was been... my life they were trying to describe. And that is not what it was. <laughs> Yeah, well, there have been several professors. You've probably heard of Brett Weinstein, Roland Fryer at Harvard. These guys have been canceled by the. Uh, Brett was chased off the campus by his students. You know, this uh-huh. pushback against our educators is just—it's just been kind of crazy in certain places, and it's, I just feel like somebody has to stand up to it. You know. Yeah, and I appreciate that this professor is doing that, and especially since since with tenure, it shouldn't be an issue, as you were saying. That's the whole point of tenure, is to protect professors from these kinds of wild goose chases or red herrings. Or, I mean, again, I don't know the guy. You know the guy. He's not a bigot, right? He's just an old guy that's like confused and doesn't want to, doesn't realize the world around him is changing the way they use the language. When I think about, when I think about my, yeah, when I think about my friend, Rick, he is soft-spoken. He is thoughtful. He's kind. He's the type of person you want to be friends with, you know, and he puts so much loving energy into his shows. You know, like I said, I've worked with him professionally off and on for the past 10 years and the level of care that goes into his teaching and um, the artistry of, of what comes out on the stage with his students at the university and through the theater company. It's just, you know, it's just really good stuff. And this past summer we had just such an amazing season and to have all that canceled torched, literally torched, and a career go up in flames because he's not part of the zeitgeist, the current thing of the moment. Um, it's just wrong. It's wrong on every level. And like I said, I don't have anything against the students. They are also caught up in the moment and needing their safe spaces and triggers and all of the things that they've been sort of taught to, this is how you right. behave when, stranger, you're, when you're this type of person. Danger. Right. Stranger danger rather than this this human being who I don't know is just saying hello. Well, and, and in the theater. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate, the theater I appreciate world. that you. But, but wait, just one second, because I really want to hang on this moment for a second, because I really want to appreciate the fact that you're acknowledging that those who are who are in 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 our eyes, yours and mine, not on the good guy side, right? But acknowledging that those people too are absorbed in in a cancel culture and those people too are not necessarily uh, unblamed. It's not like there's no blame. It's that there is a reason they are making those choices that turn out to be not that great. So I just want to acknowledge that because it's important. Thank you. There's all these unintended consequences of the direction we're going. I'm part of Fair in the Arts, the Foundation Against Intolerance 
and racism. I'm the Colorado leader of Fair in the Arts here in my state. But what we're hearing reported from artists around the country, especially people of color, is that they're nervous about auditioning for various places in the performing arts world because they don't want to be picked because of the color of their skin. They don't want to be, you know, given this place because of that. They want to be picked, chosen because of their talent. And because we've gotten so far into identity politics with our casting of shows, you have this group of people who are like, I'm not going to participate at all because everybody will just know I was picked because of my color. And so that is one of the big unintended consequences. And how how tragic, you know, that you have a group of people who think, well, I only got this job because of whatever. And instead of right, being picked but- because of what they can do. But that is that that's an effect of, of this the the systemic racism and the the systemic cultural expectations around certain races when you talk about that kind of because here's the because here's the reality that that's an insecurity in that actor that that maybe they're only there because of their race. That's not a reality necessarily. And even if you could get everybody to tell the truth about whether somebody was hired because of their race, how you look 100% matters when you're in the theater. 100% matters. And, and if, you, if, if, if how you appear in the world is, is problematic, and giving you second thoughts because you think now you're getting a leg up because you're black because they want to do an all black version of I don't know. I can't even think of a musical right now because I'm so worked up about this. Well, we we had we had a we had a black Oklahoma here in Colorado. There you go. There and you it go. was it was fabulous. I saw the trailer. I heard the reviews. You know, it was a banger of a show. Not not complaining about anything that way. If that's what we're going to do, great. But it was Glenn Lowry. Do you know him? He's a black professor yeah. at Brown. Okay. He has, he has been particularly outspoken about this topic on his podcast, and I can't recommend that enough. A recent show he did with, I think, a NYU professor. And, and they just, he was also black. They just said it out loud. They said, what we are finding is that our students who come to us who are aggrieved and feel like they are being discriminated against are not our top performing students. They are young people who are seeing that this is a way for them to get a leg up and a foot in the door of wherever they want to go. But they're not, he said, the top students never feel the need to, you know, say it's all about race. They're just out there doing the work. And I feel like it's the same in the arts. You know, you should be able to just go to an audition and try for something and know that yes, I was chosen because I am the most talented. And that that is the day that I would like to get to, colorblind casting, where the best person for the part is chosen. And then we can all just relax and enjoy the show. It doesn't have to be all about the color of people's skin. It's about the work. And if, if the work, if the show itself is about racial things, you know, and you have to have a black play, person playing a black part, a white person playing a, a white part because of the nature of the show, then 
okay, you know, fine, do that. But for most things, I don't care if it's Shakespeare, you can have females playing male parts. You can have any person of color playing just about any part and it will still work. The various Shakespeare companies around the, around the country are proving that. And I'm friends with the gal who started Shakespeare in Detroit. And she said, that is, is literally what we are doing. We are casting all races, all genders, all parts, and it works. So what I don't want to see them do, Amanda, is kill the Shakespeare. We're not going to do that show because it doesn't fit with modern day sensibilities. I don't want them to rewrite the shows. I don't want them to edit the shows or cancel certain characters. Oh, the content. Okay. I want the content to stay pure. Right. And I want the storytelling that's so sacred. You know, these, these plays and musicals. And even the work that's going on in our museums, it is sacred and nobody should be messing with it. No, I, I agree. And interpretation is part of, is part of art. And I think there's a place for all of that. I did, I, I'm not in the theater world, so I'm not aware of any overt or even, even, um, you know, an undercurrent of, of racism because I'm not just not in that world. And and on top of that, I'm a white person, so I probably have reached the 100% limit of what I can speak to from my own experience. Well, I auditioned for a show recently, and I was it was a part I really wanted to play. And when I went to submit my video, because most of the big companies are doing auditions through videos that you submit online, uh, it popped up and said, this role is being pre- reserved for a black actor. And it's crazy, but that literally is a violation of civil rights. It's, you know, it's part of the code. So they they may not be thinking that through, that, that this sort of, uh, you know, blocking certain races out of parts is illegal, but it is. I mean, that's what the civil rights movement was all about, was getting rid of those uh, racist notions that you have to be a certain color to do a certain thing. And so um, I've experienced a little bit of that, but you know, I'm not aggrieved in any way. I think the person who was chosen to play that part did a great job. It was playing the mother abbess and sound of music and all power to her. I'm glad she got the part, but you know, how, again, how far is that going to go? You know, are they going to say, okay, these five parts are for non-binary actors who grew up in the state of Arizona and are under five feet tall. I mean, how specific are we going to get? Who do you think, who do you think it was that decided that, that that part should be reserved for black or why do you think that was reserved for a black actor? Well, this is what we're seeing being reported from the artists in our fair group that when they go to get grants and loans from the federal government, they have to prove in their paperwork that they have a certain percentage of uh, minority or people of color participants in their companies. And so it's really coming from the national arts associations that give out grants and loans. And a few companies have just said, okay, fine, keep your money. We'll, we'll do it our own way. But most companies need that money to help them survive. Right. So, so it seems to me that, that 
you know, I, I'd be I'd be interested to actually see those those documents and and see those policies because it, it seems to me that that becomes an entirely other issue if 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 this is the only way they can fund themselves and and they have to do diversity to get the. I don't know that it was the case with this company. I I don't know who made that decision. I just know that it it affected me personally. So that's why I shared it. Right. Hey, listen, I'm going to wind down the show, but I'm so glad you stopped by. Yeah. And um, And I'm glad you let me bend your ear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I so appreciate your thoughts. And um, anybody who's interested, just go to the call-in page, click on the articles, and you can read more about Richard Bugg's specific case but um it will just remain to be seen how this all plays out on the world stage it may become a big story it may not um i hope for everyone's sake that as the case unfolds that those who might want to condemn the students or make fun of them or say you know you're just a bunch of snowflakes or whatever i hope that's not necessarily your posture because I think of the students as victims in this situation. They have been taught to think a certain way. They have taught, been taught how to use certain legal maneuvers to get what they want, not, perhaps not thinking clearly about the horrifying impact this is going to have on everybody else, most especially the professor, but you know their families, students coming up after them, how is how is it the climate going to be for them? We are all feeling like our speech is already being needlessly controlled in our culture because everybody is so afraid of offending to the point where they themselves get canceled, canceled by their family or friends or business or what have you. And so I think we're all feeling this kind of compelled speech anyway. Like I better I better not say that or I'm I'm gonna get in big trouble. And I would love for all of us to move back to that place of beauty where we could all go to the movie theater and see a movie like Blazing Saddles and just sit there laughing our heads off because we knew what was funny and it was really funny. And when you're being told what you're allowed to laugh at and what you can find funny and what you can say and what you can do, that's not a free republic that's not free speech. That That is tyranny. And so I would love for our culture to, to just decide to make the quantum leap, leap forward into the realm of freedom and live and let live and let this totalitarian thing just die an inglorious death because that's what needs to happen. Thanks for stopping by. I hope everybody out there has a great day. I will be back here on the Jenny Hatch Show tomorrow. 10 o'clock a.m. Denver time. Thank you so much for listening.